0: Hey, good morning, let's sing.
1: but God is steadfast, but Jesus loves you. God, you stay the same, you are there. You have promised us redemption through Jesus. You have promised us a love that does not quit. And God, I pray that the focus of our hearts would be who you are and the truth of what you have done. Instead of the wishy-washy things of this world that sometimes, often, pull our focus away from you. Jesus, we love you, we are thankful for who you are, we are thankful for what you've done, and we sing, and worship, and learn more about you this morning, God. I pray that you'd be glorified, I pray that you would enjoy it. Lord, we love you, we pray this in your name, amen.
0: God a King Lift up your voice To hear the sing Class, and uh, why don't you turn to someone next to you and say hello, good morning, and then uh, Rich will be up for announcements.
2: Well, good morning, Linworth. We knew once we be, uh, began doing a meet and greet uh, again here, it might be a little difficult to get you guys back to be able to, to give you some of our announcements and things that are going on. So anyways, welcome. And if you don't know me, my name is Rich. I'm the family pastor here. And so if this is your first Sunday. Um, also, for those of you that are watching online, I want to welcome you. Glad that you are uh, joining us. So just a couple of things before we get into the announcements uh that is right in front of you is something called a connect card and especially if you are visiting we'd love for you to pick that up and uh, begin filling that out and you can drop it off in one of the boxes as you make your way out there but we would like to connect with you I want to send you a little thank you card for being here with us and then invite you to the welcome desk and we have a little gift bag for you there and we have some items in there we have a actually a brand new coffee cup that we uh double wall insulated cup. Yep, yeah, so fill out that card. And uh, real quick, by the way, um, for the rest of you, or if you're not visiting, you can um, pick these up at the uh, uh, welcome desk for, we're selling them for $5 just at cost just to go ahead and get. So if you're interested in that, as I spill all the coffee up here, sorry, Chris, your manuscript's gonna get uh, coffee stained, but uh, you're welcome to go ahead and uh, purchase one of these too. Okay, um, so if it fills out, and also any prayer requests that you might have, anything you need to communicate to the pastors, uh, we love praying for you. Also, if you need to connect with us, um, use that. Children's ministry called Cross Crew is having a Palm Sunday event, and that's coming up next week, because that's Palm Sunday. It's gonna be after the service. And, um, and so you're being invited, uh, children, which are not here, so, but if they were here, we'd ask them to invite you, and especially concentrating on on grandparents. If you'd like to uh, bring your grandchildren to this event, they're gonna make a special Easter box uh, that your family can use uh, Easter after Easter. It's gonna be a great event. We already have 65 plus people signed up for it. Today is the last day to sign up for it. It's gonna be a fun time, there'll be some pizza, so there'll be food there. And make sure that gets done uh, today for you. Okay, Um, you can sign up uh, using the Church Center app And also if you want, you can go and write it on your connect card, just say Palm Sunday on it and we'll get the information. Okay, Uh, Easter weekend, we have a great weekend planned. A Few things are happening, Good Friday. So you can join us at 7 p.m. on Good Friday. We have a special uh, guided reflective Good Friday service. I think it's, you are going to enjoy it. And I think you're going to enjoy it in a way that uh, brings you to a place of reverence towards that whole Easter, what happened for us, and so it's, it's always good to start off your Easter weekend in a very reflective way of, of, of kind of connecting with what really happened. What did Jesus really go through? And so um, we're invited there uh, Good Friday at 7pm. Then we're having a sunrise service. Uh, we've had morning Sunday services before, but this is an actual sunrise service, 645. I think we'll be starting before the sun comes up and then the sun should hopefully come up during that time. So it's it's not going to be a real long service. It's going to be pretty short, but um, we invite you to come and uh, we'll have breakfast afterwards. Also bring your own chair and, uh, and Um, Was. what was that? Oh, okay. (laughs) I just thought I forgot something. Um, hopefully pray for no rain, that the weather uh, would be okay. All right. And then our Easter service is going to be at 8 and 10 a.m. And of course, we're asking you just to invite somebody uh, to join us during that time. And uh, we're really looking forward, we're praying that the Lord is going to move. Although we celebrate Easter for us because we just reflect on the amazing thing that that Jesus did for us, that we have the opportunity for salvation. But it's that opportunity, if you have a friend, a coworker, a roommate, a classmate, this is a type of service uh, that can open the door for them to begin to to think about and to see who Jesus Christ is and perhaps even become a believer at that morning. So hopefully you'll invite somebody for our service. Chris, you ready? You want to continue on our First Kings messages? Good morning.
3: Good morning. Something is going to happen this year for the first time. If North Carolina wins Monday night, if North Carolina wins, I will win my bracket. That's That's a first time. That's a first time. So go Tar Heels. Well, it does seem appropriate today with the NCAA Basketball Championship tomorrow night to begin with a basketball story from the greatest college coach, and no it is not Coach K. It is John Wooden. Long before there was Coach K, uh, Wooden led the UCLA UCLA Bruins to 10 championships and seven in a row in the 60s and 70s. Now Wooden credited his dad with much of his success. He recounted one story that stood out. His rural Indiana County would pay local farmers to take teams of mules and horses into gravel pits scattered throughout the county to haul out loads of gravel. Yes, horses and mules. It's a long time ago. John Wooden was born in 1910 some pits were deeper than others and sometimes it was hard for a team to pull the wagon uh, uh, up that steep incline uh, through the sand so one steamy summer day a young farmer was trying to get his team of horses to pull a fully loaded wagon out of the pit he was whipping and cursing those beautiful plow horses which were frothing at the mouth stomping and pulling back from him the elder wouldn't watched for a while, then went over to the young man and said, let me take him for you. Dad started talking to the horses, almost whispering to them, and stroking their noses with a soft touch. Then he walked between them, holding their bridles and bits, while he continued talking very calmly as they settled down. Gradually, He stepped out in front of them, gave them a little whistle to start moving them forward while he guided the reins. Within moments, those two big plow horses pulled the wagon out of the gravel pit as easy as could be, as if they were happy to do it. (laughs) John Wooden said, I've never forgotten what I saw him do and how he did it. I've seen a lot of leaders, this is Wooden, act like that angry young farmer who lost control so much more can be accomplished by dad's calm, confident, and steady approach. Well, this story begs a question, what kind of leader is God? God is often caricatured as wildly impulsive and given to out-of-control anger. Yet one who knew him intimately had a different experience of God. Now, this was written by King David. Father of Solomon, who we met earlier in the first King series, Psalm 18, verse 35, he, he prayed this. You have given me, God, that given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. I love that phrase. Your gentleness made me great. Your gent- gentleness helped me to do things I could never have envisioned doing. David credits God's calm and steady approach to becoming a great person and doing extraordinary things, things he could not have done in his own strength. So is the case with Elijah, the prophet who burst onto the scene without introduction in 1 Kings in our story today he is going to encounter the gentleness of God now we must uh, we met Elijah a few weeks ago and for some context for some background we led we read last week the account of the great civil war between Israel's God Yahweh and Baal the rival god of Israel's neighbors to the north, a story that Tom so wonderfully brought alive to us. Now in that crucible, Elijah had been the instrument for a supernatural, decisive victory for Yahweh. And then given what we will see today, it appears that Elijah expected the victory to usher in a time of spiritual revival. Now on top of that amazing victory, remember also what happened last week. God, through the voice of Elijah, lifted the three and a half year famine and drought that had almost buried the nation. So, two miracles. Undeniable evidence of Yahweh. It's amazing. And surely Elijah thought, All this evidence would turn the nation back to its spiritual roots. But guess what? No revival was forthcoming. As a matter of fact, it got worse for Elijah. The king of Ahab, or king of Israel, Ahab, who was an eyewitness to all these events, went back and related them to his wife, the queen Jezebel. We're not sure what Ahab expected. And Jezebel, rather than instituting any course change, she doubled down. And she takes a solemn oath, putting a death warrant on Elijah's head. It's basically, you, Elijah, or me? So Elijah, fighting the despair and the disappointment, and now his life threatened... Elijah does what every great movie hero does in that situation. He fires up his courage. He stares death in the face and he runs for his life. Why don't you stand? I'm going to begin reading this chapter 19 verse 3. If you're using our Bibles, it is page 301. Again, beginning in verse, verse, verse four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am the only one left. They seek my life to take it away. And God said, Go out and stand in the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it to pieces. The rocks, broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life as well to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to become king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is God's word. Let's let pray together. Father, we stand before you this morning in all of you. As you passed by Elijah, Lord, so you are in this place. You said where two or three of us gather in the name of Jesus. There you are in our presence. Your presence fills this space, for Father, you are everywhere. And we can only ask this morning that all of us, Lord, myself included, we'd have humble hearts, ready and willing and eager to learn and to believe what your word says and to receive the gifts this morning that you long to give us, to equip us, to help us, to prepare us. Lord, for a meaningful relationship with you and for effective mission and service to our world. And so, Holy Spirit, lead our time. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 You can take a seat. This passage is just brimming with emotion. We get up close and personal. We peek inside the heart and mind of a real Bible hero. And yet this is the dark night of his soul. This is his wall. He turns in his resignation. He feels he's been effective, he's tired, he's old. He's nearing the end of his ministry. He's lost heart, he wants to die. I wonder if you can think of a time when you really worked hard to see positive change, a personal goal, a ministry project, a new initiative at work, or maybe you have given tons of effort to improve your marriage. And after all the effort, sacrifice, hope, and expectation of change, it just falls apart. Have you ever felt overwhelmed or just flat out exhausted? That your work was worthless, that you were worthless? I think this is how Elijah felt. You know, in the 1840s, during the Mexican War, there was a U.S. Army general from Missouri named William Kearney. And he was leading 30 men from Santa Fe to San Diego, where he would connect with U.S. naval forces that were landed there, or that were in harbor there. It was a miserable two-and-a-half-month journey through a barren wilderness and desert. Those of you who know this part of the country, you know how desolate that southwest part of the country is. Horses and mules died. They were slaughtered. They didn't die of, of, uh, from just the wear. They, they were slaughtered for food. Water rations were low. The men were bedraggled, half-starved, half-naked, exhausted and dirty. Then came the news that there had been a counter-revolution and Mexico had retaken California. Between them and San Diego was a formidable force of Mexican soldiers. What could Kearney do? He couldn't go forward. He couldn't take his men into battle in this condition. But what else? He couldn't go backwards. They would never survive retracing their steps through the desert. I think this must have been how Elijah felt. He couldn't go backwards, but he could not envision going forward. He was stuck. I've been told that that's how pregnancy feels sometimes when you're about ready to give birth. Can't, don't want to go forward, can't go backwards. Because I've been told that. I've, I've never experienced it. He's stuck. But did you notice in this story that God does not give up on him? And and I think that at this point he is a runaway. He begins, God begins with where Elijah is. Elijah has fled from Beersheba, it's about a six-day journey, Uh, fled from Jezreel where uh, Jezebel was and Ahab, and he goes to Beersheba, it's about a six-day journey, it is as far away. From danger, as one could be and still stay in the same country. God does not yet over, he doesn't overwhelm Elijah, but he begins with where he is. And I wonder if we can recognize the gentleness of God in this. Here is what I learn and what I take away about God in this story God comes to where we are. If we could see that slide, Stewie. There we go, thank you. God comes to where we are to take us to the place where we can hear His voice. This is the pattern that I see in this story. God comes to where we are to take us to the place where we can hear His voice. Now let's break down these three movements in the action of God. First, God comes to where we are, verses 5 and 6. In verses 5 and 6 God provides Food for Elijah that has been prepared by an angel. That's some good eating. That's how I eat every evening, friends. (laughs) Now she's serving in cross crew, but you let her know that I said that. (laughs) Yes, my wife looks like an angel and the food tastes like it. Now, this was a real angel. And if you were here two weeks ago, we see how God is signaling to Elijah he is not alone. Recall how God provided for the prophet during the previous famine. First through a raven and then through a destitute widow. But now he eats food prepared by an angel. Sometimes when we are in despair, God knows what we need. And it may just mean that we need to rest and we need to eat. God arranges that for Elijah with a, actually, it was a very simple meal that was common to that time and place. Secondly, God comes to us where we are to take us to the place. Now I know that every commentator does not agree with me on this, but I believe, I I take that Elijah was being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now this is further south on the Sinai Peninsula. And I believe it for several reasons, but primarily this reason, because the writer drops us all kinds of clues in this passage that Elijah's experience mirrors somebody else's, some other biblical hero. Did you pick that up as you read it? God's presence also passed by him. And God also spoke to him. And he also waited 40 days and 40 nights on the same mountain hundreds of years earlier. Yeah, it's, it's Moses. And it would be Moses and Elijah who, hundreds of years into the future, who were transported from the world beyond to stand with Jesus on a mountain as they were called to witness the fullness of His glory. So the third slide, or the third movement in our action, God comes to where we are, one, to take us to the place, two, to three, where we can hear His voice. Why does God take Elijah on a 40-day journey? To speak to him. God takes him away from the daily grind the demands and pressures and competing voices to be alone and in that aloneness to speak. In verse nine, the word of the Lord comes to him with a question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I think his answer in verse 10 is worth repeating here. Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away." Now some take a very dim view of what Elijah has said, focusing on that exaggerated statement, I am the only one left, when we know that's not quite true, concluding that Elijah is playing the role of the self-obsessed martyr, locked in self-pity. Now I don't deny that some of that is going on here. But Elijah is a complicated man, like all of us are complicated. I think Elijah in this statement does see something very profound here. And he likely sees it with greater clarity than any other human being alive at this moment. He sees the true spiritual danger that Israel is in. And that is, given the prevalence of Baal worship, Israel's future, their distinctiveness as a nation, their identity as God's people, is on the brink of extinction. You know, history, even at this early stage, was already littered with nations consigned forever to the dustbin of history. Just a mere footnote. And I think Elijah may fear for that. And then, if that happens, what will happen to the redemptive purposes of God? You know, I love God's question to Elijah, what are you doing here? And I, for myself, I don't take it as reproof, but rather as a way for Elijah to unburden his soul. You know, along my journey, God has asked me oftentimes, and it happens for me in the process of journaling my prayers, He has often asked me questions. Chris, what were you expecting to gain from me? Chris, why do you feel the way that you do? What are your true goals? What do you truly want? These questions are invitations to talk to pour out my soul, to pray, to unburden. And in these back and forth conversations, God clarifies, he reminds me of what matters, what is important. And as I listen, I'm convicted, I'm often inspired, because he's coaching me, he's counseling me spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Well, God hears Elijah, he hears his response, and then in verse 11, And we might read this with trembling. God tells him, go stand on the mountain and stand in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by again. This is a moment like like we read that Moses had. Now we're not sure even if Elijah obeyed this or not. Maybe he did at first because later we're going to find him not standing but hiding in the cave. And what does God do? God came first in a a powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks." Sounds like scenes from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) I would love to set Peter Jackson loose on on putting to film this this chapter. But God was not in the wind. Next God came in an earthquake, but God was not in that. Third he came in a fire, but the Lord was not in in the fire. In verse 13, indeed, we find Elijah hiding in the cave. But after the fire came a low or gentle whisper. The literal Hebrew is a voice, a sound, a thin silence. This is what God was in. God's communication was not in the powerful acts of nature. Elijah had seen God work in nature-defying ways. The drought, the fire from heaven. But the point of power was not an end in itself, some spectacular sideshow, but to draw men and women into a relationship with the God who speaks, the God who in holy moments reveals himself and makes the veil between heaven and earth a very thin one. He is the God who speaks. And in a way that we can hear and relate to, God desires to relate to us with clear, intelligible communication. He came to Elijah with his word in a gentle whisper. You know this was a revolutionary concept in the ancient world where gods would never bend to that level yet Yahweh was in the still small voice you know the parallels again between Moses and Elijah here that I think the 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 narrator assumes that will make those connections the parallels between Moses and Elijah calls us to reflect on how God communicated to Moses what did God say about his communication with Moses you know around the same mountain the Mount of Horeb Sinai around the same mountain Moses set up a place called a tent of meeting where the glory of cloud of the lord would come and rest and when moses went into that tent of meeting and the glory cloud came to rest on it the people would stand up in holy reverence wondering what's going on in there and we wonder how did god speak to moses well we're told exodus 33:11 the lord would speak to moses face to face As one speaks with a friend." Isn't that beautiful? There's another account in the book of Numbers chapter 12 and here the narrator is comparing simple clear communication with abstract hard to understand uh, 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 communication. Here's what is written for us Numbers 12 verses 6 through 8. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions, I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face. And clearly, and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. I'm not quite sure what form means. I'd like to study that more. Jesus uses that same Phrase actually in John chapter five when he says of the Pharisees, My love was not my love, your love my love was not in your heart, and you did not see God or see his form. To hear God's gentle voice is what Elijah needed more than anything else. This is why God led Elijah to journey into the wilderness. It was the place where the deafening volume of the world was turned down so he could hear. We all have enjoyed the music of Beethoven. In 1801, at the age of 30, Beethoven complained about his diminished hearing. Beethoven raged against his decline. To be able to hear his own playing, he banged on pianos so forcefully that he often left them wrecked. But at age age 45, he was completely deaf. He considered suicide, but was only held back by the force of moral rectitude. Cut off from the world of sound around him, he held a pencil in his mouth against the piano's soundboard to feel the harmony of the chords. During this period, Beethoven produced the best music of his career culminating in his incomparable ninth symphony. Harvard professor Arthur Brooks wrote this of Beethoven. It seems a mystery that Beethoven became more original and brilliant as a composer in inverse proportion to his ability to hear. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. Silence, paradoxically, allowed Beethoven to hear something new. Well, let's go back to our story. And I want to finish the story out, and then we'll draw some conclusions and some applications. But back to our story. You notice that God asked the question of Elijah the same question a second time after he came to the gentle, after he came to the gentle whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? And in verse 14, he gives the same answer, and honestly, I'll say for me, this does leave me scratching my head a bit. Well, why does God repeat the question? Well, God often did that. Either to reinforce the question or to help us clarify the right answer. But why does Elijah give the same answer here? I'm just simply not sure. I mean, we half expect him to give a more refined answer based on what God has said to him. And we wonder did he miss something? Was his answer supposed to take a more hopeful turn? Now, I, I just admit this is a bit of a mystery. But that mystery is compounded by what happens next. You know, we want to put a nice little bow, right? A nice little bow on Elijah's story. To have our hero ride off into the sunset in a soft glow, perfect in our memory, right? And Not too many Bible heroes actually have that luxury. Uh, that is how Hollywood does it. Hollywood finishes stories that way. Hollywood ties up bows that way. And so do many tidy three-point sermons. But keep in mind, friends, the Bible is real life. Its characters are far more nuanced. Not so two-dimensional, good versus bad. On one hand, we do see Elijah serving God again. Praise God for that. And God gives him a new mission, beginning in verse 15. And Elijah, praise God, he is able to shrug off, to bounce out of this despair and discouragement that had beset him, and to begin serve God, serving God again. And notice in verse 18, God even corrects the small strain of martyr complex, the self-pity strain that we found in him. Notice in verse 18, God reminds him gently, Elijah, you are not alone. There is a remnant of 7,000 who have never bowed the knee to Baal. All is not lost, Elijah. No, you're not the only one. Now, I don't take that number literally to be 7,000. The number seven in the Bible symbolizes completion. Therefore, it indicates there is enough of a spiritual remnant. There is enough of the people of God to get the job done to keep redemptive history moving forward. Certainly, that would have encouraged Elijah. Elijah's new mission includes a succession plan as Elijah's journey is in the final quarter. That should have encouraged him. And yet, on the other hand, without getting into all the details this morning, Elijah does not fully carry out God's instructions. His finish is not as strong as we would have liked. He has given some clear things to do, which he doesn't do. Now, this is pure speculation on my part, but I, do, I had to wonder, again, pure speculation, I wondered how difficult it was for Elijah to hear that only judgment lay ahead. And I wondered if Elijah took that personally. Did he interpret God's words to say that his ministry was a failure? You know, when Moses heard God and saw God pass by in the same mountain, when he heard God's voice, the people were about to be restored. Moses' outcome was successful, whereas Elijah's outcome at least measured in A human level, perhaps Elijah reasoned, was only failure and judgment. Well, despite the mixed bag of the outcome of Elijah's life, this pattern remains true. God comes to where we are to take us to the place where we can hear his voice. And it is not only the power of his voice, but it is the tenor of gentleness contained within it that gives us the hope to put aside our despair and our regrets and move forward the power of his voice strengthens us strengthens us and it helps us to rise above our discouragement you know sometimes I look at the circumstances that I'm facing the waves and I think how am I not drowning (laughs) how is God sustaining me well, by the way, one answer to that question is your prayers. Your prayers help sustain me. And, and believe me, other times when I do fixate on those waves, I do feel like I'm drowning. But when I'm abiding in Jesus and when I hear his voice and receive the strength and the power of the spirit connected to that voice, the waves don't look nearly as menacing. Jesus took up the theme of gentleness, didn't he? Jesus took up the theme of gentleness. Jesus, in reaching out to those who were burdened and weighed down by the the disastrous leadership of that age, people trying in their own strength to perform and to keep up the law, and just beaten down and weary by it, to the religious religious legalists of his day, and to the perfectionists and the workaholics of our day, Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Catch that, I am gentle. I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This yoke, you know, it carries the connotation of these two giant oxen that are carrying a heavy load. And the picture being drawn here is that Jesus is this massive ox and you on the other side of that, what they call, I forget what they call it, but you're on the other part of that, that thing. And like your feet are barely touching the ground. You're just a scrawny thing. He's pulling the weight because he's gentle. He's humble of heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's such an an upside down vision of who we expected God to be. Is this gentle God still speaking today? Can His gentleness lead to greatness within us, within me? Can His, can that gentleness lead to greatness within you? Can it cause you to do things you had never before envisioned? Because you've heard His voice and you've felt the gentleness in it. Is God still speaking that way today? Think about it. Is God still speaking that way today? Does God still need Elijah's today? Or has, is the work of God so completed? Is the work of God so done? Are the redemptive purposes of God so completed? He doesn't need Elijah's anymore. Does God still need Moses's today? Does he still need Mary's and Esther's? And Timothy's does he still need the smaller unknown characters who make a single appearance in the Bible yes yes and yes and therefore he is not done speaking here is the application and challenge it is not something for you to do it is something for you to believe we must believe that God can speak to us today with the same effect As we heard, as Moses heard, and as Elijah heard, as Esther heard, as Timothy heard, and as many others heard. He speaks God today. He speaks primarily through his word, his communication to us. But he can speak in any way or form that he chooses. The beauty today is that we have his word And it is a way for us to evaluate and to assess what I think I'm hearing and how God is leading. Besides his word to help us evaluate God's leadings, we have a community of others who can help us discern his voice from that which might only be bubbling up from myself. But friends, none of that matters if we don't first believe God still speaks. You see, if you a priori assume God cannot speak today like he spoke to Moses or spoke to Elijah or spoke to others, then you'll never hear his voice. You've already determined, you've already concluded he's not speaking today. Only when we first believe God can still speak, it may be in a different manner, but with the same upside-down effect on us, Only when we believe will we be open to when that voice and that leading comes to us. It is faith. And when he speaks, it is power. There is power in his words, power. They're not idle words, they're not just symbols on a page. There is power in his word because through them, friends, he imparts his life. He imparts his spirit. You know, we talk about the memory of grandpa's words or the memory of grandma's words. And that in some way, though not fully, in some way that does sort of uh, in a slight way mirrors what this is happening here. Except that, again, grandma's Holy Spirit, our spirit does not live within you. As God's spirit does, there is power in his words. You see, the kingdom of God is not in words, it is in what? It's in power. Did you know that this book is not just a book filled with religious ideas? It's not simply a philosophy book. This book is actually a record of action. It's a record. It's a story. It's an account of what God has done throughout history. It's a book of incredible action. They have the power to change us. And this is our challenge this morning to believe that God can speak to me. Nick, you and Summer can come on up as I just say a few final things. And then we're going to worship together and, and, and take the bread and cup together. The beauty of the power of God and the wisdom of God is that He speaks to what we need. If we need to be awakened out of lethargy, He will challenge us. If we need to take seriously a sin that is bringing us down, He will warn us. But He also knows when we need comfort and healing. And in those times, we will find a surprising and tender gentleness. I wish. Really, and don't you wish for the world to know this? Don't you wish for the world to know this? I mean, wouldn't we be freshly motivated and inspired for the world to know that our God is this way? People like Chris Bennington, the former lead singer of Lincoln Park, before his suicide in 2017, he was commenting on the song called Heavy. And he said this in an interview. He said, I don't know if anybody out there can relate, but I have a hard time with life. Sometimes it's great, but a lot of times for me, it's really hard. And no matter how I'm feeling, I always find myself struggling with certain patterns of behavior. I find myself stuck in the same thing that keeps repeating over and over again. And I'm just like, how did I end up here? How am I in this? There is a place right here, and he points to his head. There is a place right here, this skull between my ears. And he says, that's a bad neighborhood. And I should not be in there alone. I can't be in there by myself. It's crazy, it's insane. It's crazy in here. This is a bad place for me to be by myself. If I'm out of myself, I'm great. If I'm inside all the time, I'm horrible, I'm a mess. And so for me, that was kind of where I don't like my mind right now. Stacking up problems that are so unnecessary. That was where that, or the song, came from me. If you know anything about his story, it's a very sad, broken story with trauma. And, and, and wouldn't we want to get the story out of a God who says, come to me. All oh, you who are weary and heavy laden, I am gentle. And humble of heart, and you will find rest and healing for your souls. I don't know about you, but first of all, what honesty and insight penned by Bennington! And to the question, "Who can relate?" I will raise my hand and say, "Yes, I can relate to that." And to all of you this morning who struggle, to all of you who struggle, whose struggles may be mental or maybe emotional or maybe relational, who ask some of those same questions. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble of heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. Amen. Be back up in just a moment to introduce communion. juice we do come with nothing we come with nothing the old hymn said nothing in my hands i bring simply to your cross i claim we don't bring any shred of self righteousness we don't bring any shred of self justification we don't bring any shred of something that we've done to put god into our debt or to entitle us to his grace we come with nothing, hopeless and helpless, the same way we came on that day. For those of you who received Christ, you didn't come on that day uh, bringing some spiritual resume with you, saying, "This is why I deserve heaven. This is why I deserve grace." No, you you came on your knees in tears, saying, "I need Jesus. I bring nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing to offer you, God." So we come to the table to remember Jesus, the bread representing his broken body, the juice representing his blood for our forgiveness. And particularly this morning, as we remember Jesus, and as we take the bread and the cup, I want to encourage you to lay your burdens down. An old song said, lay your burdens down, put your feet on solid ground, take your burdens to the foot of the cross. Let's do that this morning, my first let's take the bread together. And now let's take the juice together.
0: Calvary, where Jesus bled inside for me, and I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior Yeah.
3: now continues. It doesn't stop with the ending of the service. And, and want to encourage any of you this morning, and if the Holy Spirit is speaking, if he's this morning addressed a specific burden that you've been unable to lay down, you've been unable to give to God in a way where it's no longer uh, burdening you. Come down front and meet with one of our prayer team members. You can share as little or as much as you'd like. We'll pray for you and pray that God will begin to carry that burden in a way that makes a profound difference in your life. Where you feel the sense that at least another person, at least one more human being is helping you carry that burden. We were meant... We were meant to help each other carry our burdens. And that's the power of community. It's the power of sharing what we're going through. And so our time at ministry continues. Maybe you feel more comfortable turning to a friend or turning to your small group leader or, or just turning to one of our pastors who is uh, in the lobby or somewhere in the church. But, but share your burden, share that burden. Hear the voice of Jesus saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble of heart. Let's close with a benediction. And I'd like this morning to do something a little different. If you don't know this, it's in your Bibles on page 811, Matthew chapter 6. I'd like us to say together as a body the Lord's Prayer together as our closing this morning. Many of you may know it. Again, if you don't, it's page 811, Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse nine. Just sit right along with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's go and serve.